0: Lord, I think we all sense in ourselves those broken pieces, and I think we all feel scattered. We all come to You empty-handed. Thankfully, we are not forsaken, and Lord, we are so thankful every day for Your amazing grace and how sweet the sound is of this story of how You came to save a wretch like me. Though I was lost, you came to make me found, and though I was blind, you make me see. So, Lord, as we enter into the next part of the story, we enter with anticipation to see what you will be doing in and through your world. We pray in the name of Jesus, the great restorer, amen. Good morning, everybody. a good day to, to be together, to worship our Lord, the one we center our life around, and to continue with His story. If you're new to 12th Avenue, we want to, to person. I just want to personally give you a welcome to our family. We're just a group of people who, in our brokenness, that God has come and pulled us out of that and is redeeming us, and we are following Him with all of our hearts, three steps forward, sometimes two steps backwards, but we all are passionate to know Him, to love Him, to extend um, His kingdom. I see the Colorado branch of so the Waymans are here. <laughs> have to make my way out there and see you a little more often, Matt Wayman. I love that area you're in. Durango is a great place. Uh, just a reminder, Jordan said it, but if you're here this morning and you're a College student, Um, we're going to have a lunch at 12.30 over here. I really, really would like to hear from you, some of your ideas. I want to talk with you about how we can better make you maybe a part of our family, Um, some of your ideas on how to better reach your age and your generation. Been making my way around life groups, meeting a lot of people And this is my chance to get to know some of you guys. So even if you have an RSVP'd, you didn't send that weird word to that phone number, you can still show up here at 1230. We'll be in the room down here. And as you know, so we're our second week into a new series that we're going to do leading up to Easter, The One True Story. Um, Got an insert this morning. Should have had this last week. This is something you can follow along with in drawing this out. Um... Just want to, to explain a little bit, I on Easter Sunday, I am going to be doing the whole story in one shot, especially talking about the resurrection of Jesus and why that's so significant in this story. What I'm doing these first five weeks is I'm kind of going into each part a little bit in depth, because I feel like as a family, we need to know this story well and in depth. Um, so that's the approach that we're taking. Um, I want to remind everybody, we have the postcards um, that we printed up that are back there. If you want at any point in the middle of this, if you want to invite somebody, that's, that's great. Even if, if you just want to do Easter, um, this is a great chance for you to, to invite somebody. You know, we've been talking, you know, it's restoring all things to God, one, pla- one person, one place at a time, and all that matters is the one. And I, I think we all probably have a one that we pray for and we long to know God, so this is a really good chance to, to do that. So when we're doing this, we're talking. Oh yeah, I need to remind you to watch uh, Tangled. There will be a payoff. Uh, I'm not getting any any rights, any money. What is that? Any money from this or anything? Uh, there's already been some pushback in the church about this. Tried to get Maggie last night to watch Tangled with us, and she absolutely refused. It's only. Uh, what's the one she's on right now? Not, huh? Tarzan. Tarzan. It's just, it had to be Tarzan, and we, we don't have Tarzan, so, uh, but anyways, we need to work with that girl, okay? That's, but we are, this true story, it's the story of God, and, and again, I want to remind everybody, if when I'm talking about his story, I'm not talking about story as in a myth or a fairy tale. It's as if we sat down and had coffee with God, and we said, hey, tell me your story, this is kind of what I think it would be. So, all right, so let's begin. Last week, um, if you remember, we started with, on the sheet, Mel, up here, this is where we started last week, okay, not over here, not down here, here, but up here. Mel and I have done this before, so we started up here in the upper left quadrant. And we talked about the first two chapters of Genesis, which is when God created everything. And he created, um, he created the universe, He created the humans as the crowning achievement of that. And if you remember, He created them to live in relation, intimate relationship with Himself and to live under His loving reign. As the Creator, He is the good King, to live under His loving reign in intimate relationship. And that creation was totally full, it was full of goodness. I don't know if you remember, six times God says as He creates, it is good, and at the end He says it's very good. And that creation was full of the shalom of God. Everything was right. Everything was exactly as, as it was intended to be. But you don't have to be religious, I think, to be able to look at the state of the world that we live in and feel in your bones that there's something wrong with our world now, right? That it's not like this. There's a sense in all of us that there's something deeply wrong. And the question is, how did we get here? How did we get in this mess? And maybe more importantly, how do we get out of this mess? If it's even possible, how do we get out of it? And so that's where we're going to kind of be moving in the story today. My apologies, today is going to kind of be somber. Because every good story starts well, but conflict always arises and comes into it. And it's the same with God's story. So today we've got to talk about... The conflict in the story. And so we come to Genesis chapter 3, where Satan enters the picture. So we're told, I, I hope that's big enough for you guys to read, that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And I didn't talk in detail about this last week. That's something for the future. We're going to come back to Genesis at some point in the future. But of course, we may eat fruit. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree of the, in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and as soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And, you know, I think, you know, even I grew up unchurched, I've told you that, but I knew this story, so hopefully everybody here has a sense of this story, right, of Adam and Eve and of their fall. Well, it says that the woman was convinced. She saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. It was delicious. It looked delicious. And its fruit looked delightful, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave to her some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too so let's bring this over here and we're going to draw what happens with this story so if you're drawn with me in that upper right hand quadrant we're going to we got to start with the world again right and our tree and here's god And that man and woman, whom he created to live an intimate relationship with himself and under his loving rule. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about Genesis 3, but this: um, God created them, and He created us, because God is the one that's truly good, for us to focus on Him as the source of goodness. He created us to delight in Him. He created us to desire Him. And Satan through his temptation, he, kinda, he just turns all of that and he gets them focused on the fruit to where now in their mind and determination, it's the fruit that's good, it's the fruit that delights, and it's the fruit they desire, not God. So they take, and they eat, and that's the beginning of what's wrong with our world. Because what happens is, is the man and woman, they reject God's offer of intimate relationship, not delighting in Him, and they reject His reign over their life through this decision. They were created by and for God, and as their creator, He desired that real and intimate relationship with them. He loved them, and He sought their love in return. But they rejected God, and they lived life for themselves, pursuing other things, looking for goodness in another place, delighting in another thing, desiring something else. Um, This is, when the Bible talks about sin, this is what? it means. This is what sin is. It is living life for myself. I'm king of my world, so I rebel against His reign, and I live my life pursuing other things. I choose what I will pursue, what I will love, what I will delay, and in the process, I reject Him. In the Bible, this is also called idolatry, something that we'll come to in the not-too-distant future. We'll do a series on that, because this really is the core of sin in the Bible. So, they they spurned Him. They actually sought to dethrone and depose Him. It's like they're saying, God, as king, you're out of here. We don't want you in this place we don't want to be with you. We don't want you reigning and ruling. So they thought to dethrone, sought to dethrone and dispose, depose of him. They led a coup d'etat. You guys know the story of Apple and Steve Jobs? Several years in, the company was doing well, but he felt like he couldn't run it in some ways, so he wanted to bring in somebody to act as CEO. He'd be the creative guy, but he wanted somebody to run it. So he brought in John Scully from Pepsi-Cola to help run the company. I think within a year... Scully led a hostile takeover of the company, and he ran Steve Jobs off. He got fired and kicked out of the company that he started. And I think we know the result of that move. What happened to Apple when the creator of the company left? It tanked, almost went totally out of business. And we also know when the creator came back, the company exploded, right? and I mean, in a good way. So it was with God's good creation. They did not like the idea of God being in the center of the picture, so they put themselves at the center as the source of order, apart from God. It was like the earth demanding that the sun rotate around it. And we all know what the physical effects of that would be, right? If the, if the sun rotated around the earth, it would be disaster. It would devastate our whole solar system and our world. And the after effects of their decision, are cataclysmic and far-reaching. Their rejection of God is at the center, as as the center of their lives. It corrupted every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. And I want to kind of show you how this works. So, I need one, two, three, four, five. Actually, we'll do seven. I want you guys one... You, one, two, you, six, Mel, come on up here, because I'm going to get Mel involved in this. I want you guys to come up here for a minute. Come up on this side of the stage, if you would. I want you to make a circle. And we're going to put Josue at the center. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, you just kind of stand here, and you guys make a circle around him. Here, see, this is, this is what it used to be like. I used to be at the center of Ariel's life, but now, so, now Josue... <laughs> And I've been deposed and thrown out, and (laughs) my whole world is falling apart. (laughs) Okay, when God created, He was at the center of everything, okay? He was at the center of everything. Everything was rightly related. And when He's at the center of everything, so Ariel, can you see, can you see jae and Mel, can you see everybody else in the circle? Sanghee, can you see... Everybody, maybe not Ariel, Hosway is kind of in the way. By the way, when I asked him if he would be God, he said he thought that uh, Jordan might have a problem with it, but (laughs) Jordan, we're going to let him be God anyway. Is that okay? Mel, you can see everybody around the circle? Okay. But I want you to see the effects that when they turned their back on God, I want you to see what happens. So I want you guys to turn your back on Hosway. Yeah, not only... I mean, Mel, can you see Josue? Nope. And forget these people. Pretend they're not out here, okay? okay. For, <laughs> you can't… Ariel, do you see Josue? Hira, do you see Hosway? No, you can't see Hosway. Can you see Mel? Songhee, mm-hmm. Ariel? No, Ariel, can you see Hosway or Songhi anymore? Can you see JN over there? No. Okay. That when they turned their back on God, they became totally isolated and self-focused. Does that make sense? And in turning their back on God, they're turning their back on everything in creation and it all becomes about them. Does that make sense? So, that's what happened. All right, guys, thank you very much. Can we give them a round of applause? So, the self became the hub of reality. The self became the hub of reality. And in their rebellion against God, that image of God that He created in them, as an integral part of who they were, it was shattered. Now, I didn't say it was eradicated. His likeness was still there, but it was distorted and marred. Humans no longer reflected God well. They didn't reflect Him well to the creation, who He was, His character, His purposes. That stamp of God's beauty and goodness, it was still present, but it's now in all of us, it's tainted and corrupted. They were not what they were created to be. They became just a shadow of their former selves. And I really, today, I really want you to get a sense of the impact of sin on us and on creation. Sin dehumanizes everything authentically human about us. Their rejection of God made them less than fully human, not unhuman, but it made them less than fully human. Their souls became disfigured. They became a character of what God intended them to be. And this morning, when I'm talking about them, I'm not just talking about them. Do you know who else I'm talking about? Us and me. So hear yourself in this. They were now in the grips of sin and in death because God had told them in chapter 2, a detail we're not going to go back, that if they rejected Him, they would bring death upon themselves. And it affected every part of them and us. It affected their minds to where no longer are our thoughts His thoughts. It affected their bodies to where our bodies now get diseased and broken down and and eventually die. It affected their emotions to where our emotions get all out of whack. Can I say whack in church? Is that okay? Their hearts, it affected their hearts to where it has become now, according to Jeremiah 17, deceitful above all things. Who can understand? even your own heart. Their wills became affected. Their ability to choose right and wrong was greatly hindered. We all struggle with that willpower thing. They became tinged with ruin and decay. But even more than that, they fell under the bondage of their sin, but also of Satan. Tragically, here's the tragedy. In the process of rejecting God's reign, they abdicated their position of authority that they were created with, their authority over the world, And the world fell under the rule of Satan, so that now he is called the prince of this world in John 12, 14, and John 16. Three times Jesus refers to him as the prince of this world. So Satan, by turning humanity away from God, creation became captive to him and to the powers of darkness. And finally, they're expelled from the garden. The end of chapter 3 ends this way. In verse 23, so the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and He sent Adam out to cultivate the garden from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and He placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree. They now lived east of Eden, a place we all live, east of Eden, with a deep sense of of exile, And that's what I spoke about last week, that deep thing, that longing inside of all of us for a perfect world that somehow was lost, that we would love to get back to, that sense of exile. And they and we now live lives marked by alienation, frustration, and affliction. Paradise was lost. So here's what I want you to see this morning, this thing of sin. Sin separates Sin spoils and sin spreads. That is what it does by its very nature. It separates, it spoils, and it spreads. It extends into every dimension of life. Do you remember the four key relationships we talked about last week? What were the four? Do you remember the four key relationships? Say them loud. Okay, my relationship to myself, my, that emotional or psychological, what else? Tim? To God. The spiritual. What else? Katie, were you saying something? No? (laughs) Well the youth pastor's wife's always supposed to say something, right? That's (laughs) what Okay, so the spiritual, that emotional to myself over the other two? Huh? Yeah, social with each other and yeah, nature, that natural one. Good job. You guys all get an A. Skyler got an A last week, you guys all get an A. And which of these is the key relationship upon which all the others are built? Tim got it. It's that vertical relationship. That is the key relationship. That one. If that falls, it all falls. And the bitter fruit of their rebellion impacted all four of those relationships. That relationship with God. Look at what sin did to it. Um, Oh, I, I have to go... Okay, I have, it, I have my slide in the wrong place. It says that after they sinned, immediately it says they felt ashamed, and they knew that they were naked, and it says they hid. And then God came walking in the cool of the garden, and He called out, Adam, Eve, where are you? And Adam stepped out, and it says that he said, we heard you coming, and we hid because we were afraid, because we were afraid. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin separates us from God. It breaks that relationship. It dishonors Him, and it breaks the relationship that we're created for. Here it is. That's it they felt shame, they hid, they hid, and they were afraid. So, we need to draw a squiggly line through here because their relationship with God became broken. It was no longer a relationship of intimacy and trust. It was now a relationship of fear and shame and hiding. Deep spiritual shame entered into their experience, a sense of internal condemnation of being unlovable and unacceptable to God, and once that relationship with God became broken, everything became broken, everything, if I backed up, I put this in the wrong place, there it is, yep, everything became broken once that became broken, and the world became a place full of brokenness. Death and the ruin of sin affected all four relationships. And when they alienated themselves from God, that brought alienation into everything. How about the relationship with others? As soon as the relationship with God is broken, what starts happening between man and woman? Right? The kind of things that never happen in our homes, right? Immediately, blame, right? quarreling and blame he immediately God says hey what did you do and he goes hey it's her fault and not just her fault but he says the woman that who gave to her gave to him yeah the woman you gave me if you hadn't have given her so again that that broken relationship between God and man so it's all her fault he blames her shifts the blame you and her if you hadn't have given her to him so suddenly into the human experience there enters instead of intimacy and trust Betrayal, manipulation, conflict, blame are things now that we all deal with daily. And do you remember I talked about that in the original creation there was no shame, and shame is a relational word. And shame entered. I mean, at the beginning they felt shame, and part of that is because of this. Now you, they can't look each other in the eye the way they used to, right, because of the brokenness of the relationship. But they also became broken within themselves internally within themselves. The three big, the big three, guilt, fear, and shame that we all struggle with and all wrestle with entered human experience. The shame and the fear are clearly in this text. The guilt is very much implied also in that hiding and that sense of knowing that there was condemnation coming. And so shame enters our experience and all of the feelings that accompany shame to where all of us at times, maybe a lot, I don't know, Have a sense that we're we're defiled, that we're polluted, that something is wrong with us, that we're corrupted, contaminated, defective, irreparably broken. Like I said last week, that sense that if people really knew who I was inside, I would be unlovable and I'd be unacceptable. And I think every human now has the experience of at times even hating themselves, right? So we become broken there. And then the relationship with creation becomes broken. So we need to draw the squiggly line on this whole thing. It broke their relationship with creation. Creation was no longer a safe place for them. It's now a place of pain and thorns and thistles, right? And, it was, and they no longer took care of creation the way God intended I want to say more about this whole of creation because I think it's really important to understand God's story and the world we live in. Because human rebellion against God disrupted the natural order of everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Their decision sent ripples throughout the entire cosmos. The whole of the creation reacts to their sin. The universe convulses it's shaken to its core. Human beings are so integral to the fabric of things, the whole universe, as the crown of creation, the ones giving rule, that when they turned from God, the garment of the world began to unravel, so to speak. How? I mean, how, how did their sin affect all of creation? I don't, I don't know. But I, I do know that in quantum physics, if you mess with an, apple, uh, an atom on that side of the universe… It affects atoms on this side of the universe. How? I don't know how that happens, but there's some kind of connection between things so that when they fall, it ripples into everything. John Muir said, that famous naturalist, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. So, is the crown of creation. When they fell, everything fell. Sin corrupted every aspect of our world to where in Romans 8, here's what Paul says about the world, the universe that we now live in. He says that by the sin of one man, now death reigns. The creation, by their decision, was subjected to brokenness, futility, the ESV says. And it is now in bondage to death and decay. The ESV says it's in bondage to corruption. And the whole creation is now groaning right up till the present time. It's not just we who are in the grips of death and decay, but the whole of creation. And there's no dimension of life that's not settled with the dust of death. Remember the goodness we talked about last week? Creation? It's lost. That, which was the hallmark of the creation, again, not totally. We still see beauty in creation. We talked about that last week, remember? In the sunsets and in, in rainbows and in mountains and all of that. And God's glory is still evident for those who have eyes to see. But when sin entered the world, it fractured all the beauty and all the goodness previously established at every level of creation. And God's creation became a place of darkness and gloom, sorrow and pain. So when people want to talk to me about suffering, like where did suffering come from? This is the answer. It's not the whole answer. It's part of it. Disease, genetic disorders, famine, natural disasters, aging, death, all entered because of their sin. As did oppression, pollution, war, poverty, crime, violence, addictions, injustice, all the result of displacing God. Their rebellion defaced and it spoiled god's creation and the reality is is we now live in a very broken world and don't you feel it to the core of your being the brokenness of this world and that shalom do you remember the shalom that marked the original creation shattered it was lost can only be partially found now remember this was the hebrew word shalom is a really deep word We don't need to review all that. Instead of being full of shalom, here's what the world is like now. Everything is fractured, twisted, and broken instead of whole. There's a pervasive sense of languishing and sorrow instead of flourishing and delight. Sin and evil now permeate and prevail instead of goodness. Things are no longer rightly related and rightly ordered instead of being rightly related and rightly ordered. Struggle, conflict, and discord rule the day. Things are no longer as they were intended to be. Again, the very fabric of the universe is unraveled. Things are falling apart. Disorder reigns. And since that time, we've all been mourning the glory and the greatness and the beauty of paradise that we lost long ago. So, at the top of this one, we write, broken by sin. Broken by sin. By rejecting their Creator, both relationship and His reign, they brought death and decay, utter ruin unto themselves and the totality of the creation. kind of somber right not the best of news but true it rings true we know so we've been talking about them a lot adam and eve what they brought into the world how many of you ever cursed adam and eve you were struggling with sin and you're like man if it weren't for them i mean have you ever had that thought i have if it weren't for them (laughs) as if i would have done anything different right because here's what I want to say. Their story is my story. It's our story. We, we have rejected, sorry, we have rejected, yeah, that's the, we were created by God and for Him. And as our creator, He desires a real and intimate relationship with us. He loves me and He wants my love, and I've rejected Him. I've done the same thing. I've rejected God, and I've lived life for myself pursuing the things I want to pursue, where I think goodness is, the things I think are full of delight other than Him, the things that I desire more than Him. We've all done that, right? And our sin, my sin has dishonored God and it broke, my sin broke the very relationship that I was created for. That's what Isaiah 59 2 says, it is your sin that has separated you from God, Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned. It's just not Garen, right? We've all sinned. Isaiah 64, all of us are dirty with sin. That contamination, I think we all feel it, that we've all wandered away. All of us have wandered away from our Creator, Isaiah 53.6. Each one of us has gone our own way, living life for ourselves, pursuing the things we want to pursue. But here's the irony of it all. Here's the irony of their decision to find goodness and delight and desire in something other than what they were created for. The irony was, is that their pursuit of other things and my pursuit of other things has only led, it led them and the world down the path toward brokenness and ultimate ruin, and it has led me down that same path. The seeking pleasure in other things, that doesn't lead to a good life that I've experienced from my sin, the brokenness of that. And the ultimate ruin being is that if I die in that condition of being separated from God, I will not spend eternity with Him, a thing for which I'm created. James 1.15 says, our wrong desires tempt us and drag us away from God. And then after our wrong desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to That's a very important word. Gives birth to what? Death. So the irony of it is, in seeking to have the good life apart from God, what they brought into the world was death. So their story is my story. Okay, before ending today, there's just a few things I want you to see. A few final, two observations and a question. Is that all right? Thanks, Rick. (laughs) Rick's my go-to. That's all right, Garen, man. I really want to make sure we understand that all the brokenness and suffering that we see in the world and in ourselves is a symptom of a much greater root problem. And that root problem can be described in one word, and it is sin. It is our alienation from God. The singular problem with humanity, it is not material lack, it's not physical deficiency, it is not a lack of education, which our culture tries to tell us. Like some religions say, it is not ignorance, it is not desire that's the problem. It is personal sin against a holy God. That's the problem. And until the root cause, till that, till sin is taken care of brokenness of the physical the brokenness of the world and of myself can't be taken care of sin all sin our sin my sin is the problem that must be dealt with the world can't be put right until we are put right gk chesterton great story Back in the early 20th century, the London Times ran a contest in their paper that they would give like 5,000 pounds or something to the person who wrote the best essay answering this question, what is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? And the winning essay was put in by G.K. Chesterton, very famous Christian who had left his faith and came back to it, great thinker. Read anything you can get your hands on that he writes, I encourage you. J.K. Chesterton won by writing a one-word essay. And his answer to the question, what is wrong with the world, was me. Me. And what he meant by that is me because of this, because of my sin. Does that make sense? I'm what's wrong with the world. You know, this would be a very gloomy picture if it was the end of the story, wouldn't it? Very gloomy, but it isn't the end of the story. I want to ask a question before my last observation, and here's my big question. What is God going to do now with this mess? What's He going to do with all this death and ruin? Is He just going to ignore it and walk away? Is he just going to stay up there and turn his back on it and say, you deal with it, you caused it, it's your problem? Is he going to tear it up and start all over again? That's what I would do. When I was a kid, every Saturday, we'd pull out the Legos, me and my brothers with my dad, turn on Bugs Bunny, Pink Panther. And we would build the most awesome Lego things in the world. I mean, we would try, but my dad, I mean, have you ever you guys done Legos with your dad and he builds these awesome aircraft carriers and destroyers and alien spacecraft and jets? I mean, yours look like nothing compared to his. But, you know, you'd build, your, like, you'd build your jets that day, you and your brothers. And inevitably, my little brother, Dana, sorry, Dana inevitably, Dana would take my, my jet and he'd break off one of the wings or he'd tear the cockpit off or something just to push my button because he knew I had a Lego button. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to bother me, come in my office and mess with my Legos in there, my little, my family Legos. He had, I had a Lego button. And whenever he would do that, do you know what my reaction was every time he'd like break one thing off my Lego, my jet, I'd be like, I'd just tear the whole thing up out of anger and frustration. That's what I would have done with this. I would have just ripped the whole thing up, said, forget you, I'm starting all over. You know, what's God going to do with them, with us, with me? They turned their backs on Him and walked away from Him. So is He going to do the same? I'm not going to fully answer that question this week, sorry. Got to come back next week, okay? But there are a few hints of the answer. that brings me to my final observation. I want you to see God's amazing grace and provision in this story. Though God allowed Adam and Eve, He did allow them to suffer the natural consequences of their choice. He did not abandon them. Look in verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord, God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I mean, do you think he really didn't know where they were? You know, you ever had one of your, as a parent, one of your children do something wrong and they run and hide in the closet, you know, you walk up to the door, you know, by the room, where are you? Right. I mean, do you really not know where they are? Do you really not know what they did? Okay. He, he doesn't need to know. He came to them. Seeking them out. Though they abandon him, he seeks them out. What grace. Isn't that amazing grace we just sang about? Verse 21. They try to provide for their nakedness with the fig leaves, and that's a funny story in and of itself. Because in a week, what's gonna happen to the fig leaves? They all dissolve away and break off, and then you gotta get a new fig leaf, and so they spend the rest of their lives just. constantly looking and trying, you know, Chris is now doing chemistry, trying to devise a new fig leaf that chemically will not uh, decompose or something. He comes, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. He sacrifices the life of something to provide something that they need. It's a hint of what's coming. But to me, my favorite is in verse 15. The one The most important act of grace and provision. He gave an inkling, a hint of the good news that was to come. He gives them a promise in verse 15. When He's talking to Satan, He says, one of her male Descendants is going to crush your head oh you'll strike his foot he will crush your head sometime in the future God promised to send a serpent crusher the one who deceived them into bringing all this into the world son of Eve would come to destroy the evil one. Isn't that amazing grace? God doesn't just leave us where we are. He doesn't leave them where they are. Broken in our sin and separated from Him. That's why we gather here as a community, right? Because this is our story. So, I think we would all agree the world's not the way God made it nor intended it to be. The humans, the world, are fallen and desperately in need of redemption, desperately in need of transformation. We need to be made new. This whole world needs to be made new. And we've tried for centuries to make ourselves and the world new to no avail. We have tried and tried and tried, and we have failed. So the question is, who can do it. If we can't, who? And I think I know the answer to that question. I think I know. Hey, I forgot one thing on the picture the thing we illustrated, this self-centeredness, self-absorption that came into their lives because of the sin. That's really important. You'll see it in two weeks. Father, the problem in the world is me and it's my sin and it's us and it's our sin. Lord, we of all walked away from you, living our lives for ourselves, pursuing other things. And because of that, we become separated from you. And what we thought led to the good life ironically leads us towards death and ultimate run. And I am so thankful that you give us in this story these hints that you do not leave us alone to that, but that you make this promise. You come and meet us, and you make this promise that one day Someone will come who will fix all things. We sang this morning about your amazing grace. It's all your grace. It's all your grace. It's all you. And I stand in awe of your grace and of who you are. Lord, as we tell this story, we want you to be famous through it. We want you to be lifted up. We want you to be the one that gets the spotlight. And so, Lord, today as we leave this place help us to go as a community of people who will who will embody your story to the to Emporia and to our workplaces and to our neighborhoods to the nations we pray in the name of Jesus because it's all for him and it's all because of him and it's all about him amen